This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. Hi, everyone. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. We are on a roll with authors. I got some great feedback on the William Forston interview. You can check out that episode. It's episode 22, and that one focused on post-apocalyptic sci-fi. Today, another author with a very unique backstory, a man whose life before writing is as interesting as the novels he creates. First, thanks to everyone who came out to the Her Women's Conference in Northern California. I was honored to MC once again. It was sold out. We had great speakers like Lauren Johnson, who is episode 23 of The Power Profile. We also heard from financial expert Gina Richardson. There was plenty of great food and wine, lots of vendors, just a super positive vibe throughout the whole day. I've been on an audiobook tear this year. Been listening to uh, my newest audiobook, which is the trilogy by Justin Cronin. Starts with The Passages. It's really good, super well written, but I've been on this tear. Usually I have a fiction book going and a nonfiction book going at the same time, depending on how I'm feeling. I'll listen to either or. or. Uh, but I've really let my audiobook club suggest new authors for me, which is how I found the man that I'm going to be talking to today. His name is Tim Tigner. He began his career in Soviet counterintelligence with the U.S. Army Special Forces, the Green Berets. He says that was back in the Cold War days where they, quote, learned Russian so the rest of us didn't have to, end quote. I love that. He switched from espionage to business. He took his fresh MBA to Moscow, where he worked in the Soviet space program and healthcare. He led multinational companies. And all of this will be evident when you read his books, because there are lots of characters and places uh, that are in either the former Soviet Union or Russia, as we know it today. And it's not often that you find an author who has actually lived some of the international intrigue that he writes about. Tigner also writes page turners that are often described as John Grisham meets Michael Crichton. Enough science fiction to intrigue with lots of twists and skilled assassins. Really fun reads. The two Tigner novels that I just finished are Stolen Thoughts and The Price of Time. Both got me so curious about the author, so I reached out to him and he accepted my invitation for what turned out to be a fun interview. Tim Tigner joins me now. Tim, thanks for making time uh, for us this morning. Appreciate you. Um, I, I know that you went from military service to multinational business to, uh, you know, other kinds of jobs, pretty high stress, highly structured environments. So what was missing that writing fulfilled for you? <laughs> what, what was missing? I guess control of my own destiny would be the uh, the answer to that. When you're working for a corporation, you're always working for a boss. Yeah. And when you're writing, you are your own boss. And uh, I, I wanted that freedom. Plus, it kind of amps things up a little bit when everything is 100% reliant on you. It kind of cranks up the whole <laughs> living to the extreme. Uh, right. Right. Philosophy. So. And, yeah. Do you are you now when you write? Are you uh, are you just writing? Let's say, do you write for yourself or do you write for your reader, your archetype? Yeah, I write what I want to read. Mm -hmm. So I write for myself. 
I don't know what my archetype reader is. Google told me that. I would have guessed it was, you know, guys like me. <laughs> but uh, when you see the demographics of people reading thrillers, uh, it's it's not it's not just guys like me by any means. It's it's a bit more female than male, and uh, quite a bit well older than I was when I started this out. <laughs> now now I'm moving in on that demographic. <laughs> but, uh, no, I just write what I want to read. Yeah. And, um, there. Yeah. What kind of books were you reading at the time you were contemplating this change? Like, what what do you like to read? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a huge change. I, I have a, uh, a, a, it was a math and philosophy undergrad and then got master's degrees in finance and in um, international studies. And so switching from doing, you know, PowerPoints and marketing presentations, I, I was running, um, multinational pharmaceutical and medical device companies all over the world. Um, switching from that to just writing was uh, was huge. And what drove me to do that was I wasn't finding job satisfaction, even though I had the exact job that I trained for my whole life. And so I asked myself, what gives me the most pleasure in life? And there was nothing that I enjoyed more at that time than reading a good book. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to try and create some of those. Um, back then, that would have been the mid-90s, the, uh, the books that I was reading a lot of, I was over in Germany, were um, a lot of the European thriller authors. It was Ken Follett and Frederick Forsyth, mm -hmm. and guys like him. So... <laughs> I, I like the way some of your books are described as like a like John Grisham meets Michael Crichton. And I think that's what attracted me to your books. I love that bit of sci-fi, that that technology piece that uh, so many of your novels include. I mean, did this come from your background? Things that you saw or things that were in development or things that you heard of um, that were interesting to you? Yeah, that's exactly the genesis of, of my book. So I didn't want to write books that people had read before, which is, of course, extremely difficult to do. But by that, you know, I wanted to write thrillers because that's what I enjoy. And my background is I was in Soviet counterintelligence in the Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, and, and then in, I did you know, tech and all that stuff. Um, but so I, I didn't want to just do another murder or another nuke in New York. I wanted books that really brought something new to the picture. <clears throat> and so I just started drawing on my background to come up with a, a plot, often a device-based plot, um, something that hadn't been invented before. Mm -hmm. And since I was inventing the core of the plot. I knew nobody had written that story before. And then I could go from there to <laughs> creating you know, something that hopefully would be memorable and get people thinking. So, Do you have like a, a method? Do you write first thing in the morning or midday? Do you commit to a certain number of hours or words? What is kind of your method? Yeah, so I'm a morning person. So I think best in the morning and, and I'm, I don't know, it's kind of the achiever mindset so I, I mean my whole life is to an extent that i'm not when i'm not being a father or a husband 
it's how am I the most productive? And so for me, that's, you know, uh, getting in at the computer as early as I can and just plowing away at it until I can't think anymore, <laughs> usually with some exercise breaks in the middle. I do um, set a word count every day using Scrivener, the writing program, which is fantastic. I, I'll kind of pick myself a deadline for when I want the book to be done and how many days of work week I want to write. And it'll tell me how many words I have to type to meet that deadline every day. What is that I called again? That. That's fascinating. Yeah, Scrivener, S-C-R-I-V-E-N-E-R. It is, it is to writing what Excel is to spreadsheets. It's an enormously sophisticated and powerful and is, in my opinion, definitely what you want to be writing on if you're writing fiction. Hey, you definitely write because obviously it's, you know, what brings you joy and pleasure and all of that. But there's the business side of it too. What in your experience lent the resilience uh, that you needed to kind of pound down the doors of the tough to enter publishing business? It's like, it's not, it's not easy. And some really good writers never make it to publishing. So what, what gave you the resilience to say, I know other people want to read this. I'm going to keep at it. Yeah, I I drove off a cliff and knew I was either going to crash or sell, basically. So I um, I quit my job knowing that I had a five-year financial runway to get published. And uh, I figured in five years, I could learn to write and write three books. And that would give me three shots on goal. And so I just said about it, knowing, you know, that failure kind of wasn't an option. And I mean, I, I just worked at that as hard as I'd worked at any other job in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, it uh, looked like I was going to land that plane many times. I got a good agent earlier on. She got me read by the best editors, but I didn't end up um, making the big sale that I needed to continue with writing. So I ended up going back to work uh, for another seven years while my first three books sat on my computer. And um, it wasn't until yeah, seven years later, I finally had uh, <laughs> the opportunity to self-publish my books. And that, that change of time, Amazon was coming around and self-publishing actually became a viable business model. It wasn't just an admission of failure. Mm -hmm. I, I put my three books out there um, while I was <laughs> working my other job. And about a year later, I got a call from a major publisher saying, hey, we read <laughs> one of your books. We love it. We want to publish you. And um, that was all I needed to basically drive off the cliff again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I took a second mortgage, bought myself a bit more runway, and started writing um, the series that really launched my career, which was the Kyle Achilles series. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, started making money, and then things really took off. That was January of 2015 when I restarted things, and it was pretty lean for a few years. But by the time we got to 2019, um, 
one of my books was uh, among the 10 most read books on Amazon um, all summer long and one of the 100 most read books of the year. So <laughs> it was quite wow. a... Wow. You know, like the takeoff, but I tell you, it was no overnight success. It was years and years of, you know, writing, you know, as many hours a year as possible while watching my bank balance, you know, get lower and lower. So, you know, and for all the grief that people give Amazon for some of the, the business practices, they really have helped people find new authors. I mean, I, I get suggested authors all the time uh, through Amazon or Audible. Um, so I'm a big um, audio reader. I, I listen while I work out a lot or doing housework or whatever. I always have a book going. But uh, I mean, that's how I found you is it was the suggested, oh, you like this? Try Tim Tigner. And, you know, and then I have a tendency when I find an author to just rip through everything they they have and then, you know, get 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 frustrated they haven't written more. <laughs> That's that's exactly my marketing strategy. I'm also just a complete audiobook fan. I listen to two or three audiobooks a week, probably. Yeah. Um, and that was how I actually taught myself to write. I hadn't didn't have any formal writing training. I'd done a lot of marketing. I knew how to plot, analyze. I knew I could create great plots, but how do you create great prose? Mm -hmm. And so I just listened to my favorite books again and again and again, you know, kind of programming my subconscious to know what a good punchy sentence sounds like and how, uh, you know, a, a novel, you know, flows from beginning to end. Um, well, I like who you chose to read your audiobooks. I'm yeah. that that guy's got great pipes, <laughs> great voice. Yeah, yeah. So Dick Hill, my original um, narrator, uh, who became a good friend, was yeah. He um, was kind of an idol. I mean, he's kind of the, the Tom Cruise of the uh, of the audiobook <laughs> industry. So that is an awesome him, description, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Getting him to agree to do my books was a, a big breakthrough for me. And then it was it was his audiobooks that were the first to pay the California mortgage. So nice. That, that was a that was a big a big deal. And I've gone on to work with uh, yeah the guys that um, so he was doing Lee Child. Um, I, I did the John Grisham and the. Um, uh, uh, Dan Brown narrators as well. So really trying to reach out to audiences through the through the narrators. Nice. Um, yeah. I've got to ask you about this other part of your life, just especially in light of everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, because uh, you were a Soviet counterintelligence agent um, and you lived in Moscow. I mean, what do you think of what's happening there right now? Do you still know people there? Would you ever want to go back? You must have friends and former colleagues there. Yeah, well, I could never go back, unfortunately, at least not while Putin's alive, because yeah. I, I would worry about being arrested and you know, for, for spying, and that's definitely the last place that you want to be. No, the, the Russia is tragic. I mean, it is a historic example of how much damage one person can do. So R Russia went from having one of the world's all-time greatest leaders, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, a Time Magazine man of the decade, you know, so one of the world's most evil, soulless, you know, dictators. And 
the whole country is suffering. The Russia is full of wonderful, hardworking people who are just, you know, screwed by a, a, a charming, brainwashing, <laughs> power-hungry, fundamentally evil man. And unfortunately, that's not, uh, you know, an entirely unique story. <laughs> right. And, but it, it happens so fast. I mean, you know, I'm 54. So, I mean, I certainly remember uh, when the when the USSR broke up and, you know, all of that and then the perestroika and all of the businesses that were started in Russia and the, the feeling of optimism people had and the bit. And I mean, it just seemed like such a good time uh, and this time of enlightenment and growth for that region of the world. And then just to be all shut down within a generation. Yeah, it's horrible. So that's when I was living in Moscow was throughout perestroika. I was starting up and running a, a major multinational medical uh, business there. And it was it was wonderful. It was a time of, of change and hope and restructuring. And that was, you know, that was tough on a lot of people who, who had difficulty changing and adapting as, you know, people will do. We see that here, you know, in the U.S. with, you know, the Rust Belt and, and so forth. But you know, Russia has had, you know, everything. They had a low population base, but, you know, a fifth of the world's natural resources. And corruption slipped in and, you know, all the money got sucked up by the few. And, um, you know, the, the only way out of this is, you know, Putin in a casket. And <laughs> who ends up replacing him is going to be a big question. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to watch the whole thing with the Wagner group and then the plane going down and all of that. I mean, you have to, I mean, from your position looking at it, you have, I mean, what do you think is going to happen there? What, I mean, do you think this Ukraine-Russia war is going to go on for a long time? Do you think uh, there will be some sort of peace or no peace until Putin's gone? Yeah, I, I, you know, the there, there was an off-ramp for Putin, which I was praying he would take, which he, he, he didn't take, which was, you know, he, he claimed that the, the reason for the invasion was, you know, these Nazis in Ukraine were persecuting the Russians. Of course, there really weren't any Nazis in Ukraine, but that set up the exodus of him just saying, oh, no more Nazis in the Ukraine, mission accomplished, we got rid of them all, and then he could pull out. Yeah. Um, he, he, he didn't do that. And, and now, you know, the, the story has changed, right? It's starting to acknowledge that it's actually a war and it's not anything about Nazis and these bombing, you know, Kiev. It's just horrible. Um, do you worry the U.S. will be pulled into this deeper? Like, I mean, we're already financing it, but do you, do you worry about a hot war between Russia and the U.S.? No, I don't think so, because it's become such a war of attrition for Russia. I mean, right, Putin's over there now begging North Korea for arms, which is, yeah. you know, pretty sad. Of course, there's always the, the nuclear option, which is, you know, kind of unspeakable. Um, we don't hear a whole lot about that. I, I'm hopeful that we actually have a super secret... <laughs> plan in place that's got that all neutralized one way or another. Yeah. But, um, 
No, I, I think it's just going to be a, you know, a grind until there's, there's nothing left. Um, meanwhile, Putin's power is shrinking all the time with this. And so hopefully, you know, at some point, it'll kind of be a Julius Caesar moment and everybody will step forward and stab the bastard. But, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's just it's just very sad. Yeah. There are a, a lot of great people suffering and, you know, worldwide ramifications, right? The famine that's taking place as a result of this stuff. Right. Well, I, I had to veer off into international relations there for a moment, given your background, but uh, we'll get back to writing and and, uh, and some of your great storytelling. Because I, I, I noticed you, you use that from your background. You have several characters that appear in your in your books that are from that area of the world, which is um, it's fascinating because you have a different insight uh, having met people. Are they based on people you met? Yeah, I think all authors draw heavily on individuals that they know, although usually in kind of composite form. But yeah, and I, I you know, I actually end up a lot of the names in my books are actual people's names. I kind of do it as a, you know, I don't even tell them that they're in it, just kind of as a, a, a fun little favor that they'll, they'll read about it. But yeah, you, you, when you meet heroes in your life, you kind of want to memorialize them. And the same thing with the villains that you meet in your life. I've based a number of characters on on those. In fact, most of the villains in my in, in my books, a lot of whom are the, the you know the, the, the Silicon Valley CEO type, are are based on people that <laughs> that I know. You know, it's kind of the the greedy guy, you know, gone awry, given you know the pressures that that, that they're under. Um, there's a lot of pressure here in Silicon, right. <laughs> in Silicon Valley to, to produce, right? And then, you know, on both sides, both to perform, but also the, the lure of the potential, you know, billions of dollars is, is, is very corrupting. It also seems your um, your wanderlust and your love of travel makes it into your books uh, quite a bit. I mean, there's like lots of, um, there's sort of storylines surrounding yachts and people living on yachts. And I mean, that seems like a fantasy to be able to just live on a yacht for a while. I mean, is that something you did, something you want to do? Uh, d- do you find that the places that you want to go or places you've been feature prominently in your writing? Yeah, very much so. It's designed that way, right? I want to make the locations uh, a character in the lure because you want to give the reader a bit of a, you know, a vacation and some information. And so you want to let them visit these fascinating places and meet fascinating people and do things. And who hasn't fantasized about, you know, life on a yacht or right. <laughs> in, a, in a castle or whatever. So I enjoy that. And of course, the, the research is tax deductible for me, so that's also one <laughs> of the big benefits of this business. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, what are you working on? Uh, what are you working on now? Are you um, working on a, a new series? Are you? Um, what? What? What did you work on this morning? Yeah, I'm in the midst of my my latest thriller. It's. Uh, kind of a, 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 a gone girl uh, type of story. So a little bit of a veer for me towards something a bit more mainstream, but still an, an, an international thriller. I'm excited about it. It's called Twisted Lives. And like many of my books, it's, you know, somewhat autobiographical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
One of the advantages of leading a wild and crazy life is that you, you get to draw on your own experiences, which also means your own emotions, you know, when, when putting these plots together. So I have a guy that wakes up in a, an impossible predicament and has to figure a way out. And I think it's, I don't want to give anything away at this point, but it's one of those situations that I think it's very easy for people to put themselves in this guy's shoes and ask himself, wow, what would you do? And, I love uh, that. Yeah. yeah. That's the fun. So I'm, I'm excited for that one to come out here <laughs> Great. Great. next year. So something I ask all of my guests, I'll ask you now, what is a hobby habit or a ritual that you do when you feel like you need to creatively re-energize? Maybe your batteries are a little low. Is there something you do to, uh, to spark that creativity again. Yeah, so there's the daily basis and then there's the, the big recharges, yeah. So on a daily basis, I, I, I bike to my gym and then I swim a mile and then I bike home. And but there's nothing like swimming to just let the mind run free. Kind of like being in the shower, but you know, on steroids a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, for the big recharges, it's the international travel. It's going out there and, you know, I try to go new places all the time, see new things, meet new people. And that gets kind of the idea machine going. Great. And I read a lot of news and between all that stuff, it, you know, the new plots tend to gel. You know, doing news every day, the way I recharge is not to read any news. I, I pick <laughs> up a Tim Tigner novel <laughs> or I download an audio book so that that's, that's the way I recharge. So I appreciate yeah. hearing your methods. Well, great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for, for the chat and people can reach out to you. What's the best way to reach out to you on your website? Yeah, my website is timtigner.com. Tigner's like tiger with an N, T-I-G-N-E-R. Fantastic. Thank you again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Christine. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tim Tigner. Do check him out. His books are like your favorite rides at Disneyland. Predictable only in their enjoyment. So you know you're going to have a good time. But so many twists and turns, it keeps it interesting and even surprises you. And do join me each day, Monday through Friday, on the iHeartRadio app at KFBK News Radio. My partner, Sam Shane, and I have been at this show for five years. We're having such a good time. Ratings are up, so the company's happy. And we dive into the news of the day. And if you want to know more about my consulting work, you can check out MendonsaMedia.com. You can connect with me there. I hope you have a great week. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through MendonsaMedia.com.